Well, let me welcome you to Christ Journey Church today. I am so glad to see every single one of you here today. And we want to welcome you and greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. And I want to give you a special thank you on behalf of my family uh, for all of your encouragement and your prayers for my little boy who was born about 23 days ago, uh, a little over three weeks ago. Thank you so much. Meet Jacob, and Jacob says hi. Uh, and so uh, we are so thankful, my wife and I, for your encouragement, for your prayers. We felt them, and we have been feeling them over the last few weeks. So thank you so much. Today marks the second message in our series, The Christ Journey, Your Personal Pathway to Blessing, as we seek to discover together the blessings that flow from our love and obedience to Jesus Christ. And this week, this message, our second milestone on our journey toward Christ-centered living is how we grow together in family as we seek to make Jesus first in our lives. In a fascinating commentary about the family, the Washington Post published last month, January 2018, the latest trends of online dating among 20-somethings and 30-somethings around our country, and the research, researchers discovered the latest dating no-no among 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And that dating no-no is this. Asking for a last name. Asking for a last name. Don't do that. If you're, if you're making your way, don't do that. Because according to the young men and women they interviewed, giving their last name expresses about them uh, and, and, and opens them up to an entire wealth of knowledge about them that the other person, not yet trusted, can find online, can find on social media and a Google search. And so consequently, many of these young adults are withholding their last name from their early, uh, early relationships, from their new partners, in order to safeguard their true identity for a carefully curated one that they present, which all of us do to some extent when we're just beginning a relationship or we're just meeting someone, we, we try to lead with the right foot. One 26-year-old young man in particular said this, asking for a last name is definitely a modern social cue that trust is building in the relationship. I mean, this is, this is a whole new world in which we live, especially for relationships. And relationships, more than ever before, in my opinion, are less clear in how we go about them because of the onset of the technological advances of the 21st century. They face all kinds of challenges in this day and age. And I get it. I get why any young adult would want to do that. Because they wouldn't want to expose themselves to a 0.3 second Google search that might uh, allow that person to come to a rush judgment about that individual. I totally get it. But your last name is a signifier to your uh, is a signifier to your family heritage and your place of original belonging, and for that, many of us also carry a lot of different complications. So relationships may be complicated, but also our own family heritage may be complicated. Our own nuclear family right now may be experiencing complications. Need us not forget that forty two percent of all children right now are growing up in homes without a father present, 42%. That's almost half of all children right now are growing up without a father present in the home. And I know that many of you and many people in our city, it, when you think about the word family, for you, it conjures up all different kinds of emotions. For some of you, maybe loving emotions, but for others of you, it may be emotions of frustration, abandonment. Some of you may have experienced abuse in the family. And I want you to know just right now that that is not acceptable. That is not acceptable. Yet the family is exactly where God entered into our world to establish his blessing of peace and his blessing of redemption. 
And that counters many of the popular beliefs held by people, young people, older people in our culture who state the exact opposite about God, who state that God is distant or God is nowhere to be found during moments of hardship or that God is ruling with an iron fist or fear instead of love. Jesus's beatitudes, his beatitudes, his, his first teachings in the first few verses of his sermon uh, recorded in Matthew chapters five through seven, Jesus's beatitudes proclaim an entirely different narrative about God than the one that many people in our day and age believe. And I want to unpack this for you because those beliefs are driving the beliefs of our, of our culture, our city, of our nation right now. And this second milestone of our Christ journey represents God as uniting us together in family. This passport that we've, that we've set into motion uh, in this series that brings it all together goes through four different milestones. And this one in particular talks about how God is bringing us together for those who call him Lord together in family, not opposing us from afar or standing distant and off from us. In my family, we keep five values on our living room wall because we need to see them every single day. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could tell you that my family was perfect and that we didn't need uh, family values orienting our attention, but our family needs that because our paths go all different kinds of directions. And so we have five family values in front of our faces at all times so that when we enter into conflict, when we are opposing one another, we can come back and say, no, that's, this is how we live our lives. This is what orders us together as a family. Think of Jesus's beatitudes in the same way. Jesus gave us nine statements that order our lives together as followers of his way, as his church, in order to order our lives together toward Christ and his coming kingdom. And I want to share with you the second set of three. Last week, Pastor Bill talked about the first set of three. I want to talk to you about the second set of three found in chapter, chapter five, verses six through eight. Follow along with me here. He, Jesus says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, th th think about this critically for just a moment. On the surface level, did Jesus get this wrong? And I don't mean that to be silly, but, but really, did Jesus get this wrong? Listen to them again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How often do you experience that in this world? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in our world often take that hunger and thirst unsatisfied to the grave. And those who show mercy, and maybe some of you feel this way, are rarely shown mercy in return, just as you go about your life in the world. And so what's the tension here? If we simply read these Beatitudes as wisdom sayings, as pithy wisdom sayings to, that talk about our world and do this or do that, then, then they just become like these Yoda-like statements that, that prove not, not so. In the, within the context and the reality of our world. What Jesus did here was Jesus started a revolution with these nine statements. Truly, a revolution in how we think and how we go about living our lives. Jesus made a good news announcement about the dawn of a new age that he was bringing to bear, one in which the power structures of the world would be flipped upside down 
where the last shall be first and the first shall be last is the central ethic in the kingdom of God. Jesus changed everything with these nine statements. And here's how he did it. On that very day, when Jesus gave this, this sermon to crowds upon crowds of people and opened it with these nine Beatitudes, Israel was an occupied state under the cruel authority of the Roman government. Many Jewish leaders believed then that, that Rome threatened their very existence, threatened their very way of life. So in reaction against their overwhelming and dangerous influence, a sect of religious leaders developed and rose to power called the Pharisees. Some of you may have, have heard about the Pharisees before. They're the bad guys in, in, the, in the New Testament. They're the ones who rose up to power in order to cleanse all of that outside influence out of Israel through intense observation of the Jewish law. And in so doing, they believed that as Israel became more pure and as they focused just on one thing, that the Messiah would come and that that Messiah would restore their place of power in the world. You see, centuries earlier, Israel once shined brighter than any other nation in the world. They had power, they had authority, they had wealth. The Old Testament letters record how God led Israel from a group of slaves rescuing them out of Egypt into one of the most powerful nations in our history. Their disobedience against God, however, and you can read about all this in the letters of the Old Testament, their disobedience to God eventually led them from that prosperity into a place of exile, losing their status as a world power from which they never regained. And more than 400 years later, after losing their authority and becoming an occupied state within their own land, their worldview, still white-knuckled clung, clung onto their own power and control. Their own power and control. They tasted it. It's ugh, like, we got to do whatever we can to keep it now. We're going to white-knuckle it. We're going to force it to make it happen. And hope that one day this awaited Messiah would come and and make it all right again for Israel, would put them back in their place of power and control. Ever white knuckle power, white knuckle onto your own power and control like that? I think all of us do. And in the weeks and months leading up to Jesus's sermon that he gave in Matthew chapter five, he traveled from city to city, healing the sick and teaching with authority. And as you can imagine, that would, that would gather a crowd. And so everyone who started following him, they started asking this question, is this the guy? Is, the, is this the guy that's going to, bring Israel back into power? Is this the guy who's going to restore us? Who's going to redeem us? Well, indeed, Jesus was the Messiah. But the good news that Jesus announced was not for the restoration of Israel's own power and control, but instead it was how to live upside down from those power structures of our world and right side up with God, how to live right side up in a relationship with God, how to go against the powers of the world and how to live right with God. Jesus' Beatitudes revolutionized the world because of that. They're not pithy wisdom sayings, they're, they're revolutionary in how we think and how we act and how we relate with one another and ultimately how we see God. Jesus tipped the entire world power structure on its head, reorienting God's blessing from the people who make it about their own power and their own control to those, to anyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, to those who show mercy, to those who live pure in heart, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to show mercy and to live pure in heart, all bear witness to the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 
I don't know about you, but my, my life does not naturally go that direction at all. Not at all. My life does not go towards righteousness, mercy, and purity. Our natural default setting tends to lean away from these virtues and toward our own power and control. I wake up most morning asking the question, okay, what, what do I got to do in order to get my, my things done? That's not, that's not how it works. That's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus hit the reboot button on our default setting and instead exposed the lie that all of us believe at some point in our life. That is about us. That is about our desires. It's about seeing our will be done. To live like the God of our own lives. Jesus tipped that whole idea on his head. You know, I think most of us would agree that in general, people want to live full lives. They want to be shown mercy. They want to, they want to experience God or even, so, or even something like God. If, if they don't really understand what, what we do, they just want to experience something like God to experience something beyond themselves. And I think God created us to want that. I think it's just, it's, it's innate in every single one of us to, to want to experience that. I mean, that's not the issue. Satisfaction is a promise from God. Satisfaction is not the issue. The issue is how we go about ordering our lives to experience satisfaction. That's the issue. God created us for relationship. God created us to do good works. God intended us to, to make creativity, to do those things and to bring about those things in the world. But when we go about those things done in our name, that's when issues begin to arise. That's when sin brokenness enters into the picture. God created you to get your hands dirty and your, and your mind to build healthy and functional and productive businesses. God created you to create beauty that inspires. God created you to bring about order amidst our communities. These are good and right things. But when we do them in our own personal name to satisfy our own will, that's when the issues begin to arise. That's when the conflicts begin to show up. And maybe not immediately, but they do begin to show up over time. And these things begin to distort our view and understanding of the kingdom of God when we do them in our name. Only then do we miss the presence of God with us when we do those things in that way. And ultimately this turns your good work upside down. And Jesus came to say, no, no, no. I want to flip the right side up. And I want to show you how to do things in my name to see God's glory come about in your life and the lives of all of those around you. A while back, I saw one of my favorite bands for the first time. And after years of wanting to see them in concert, years, and I took a bet, one of my best friends with me. And it was, it was a night to remember, truly. We got burritos ahead of time. We got early to just kind of feel it and to take it all in, just to, oh, you know, just to be in the room, you know, for a little while longer. And, and we, uh, we, we got to our seats. And, um, and I don't know about you, but I, I brought out my noise-canceling headphones. And by the time the music started, I couldn't hear a thing. And it was great. Oh, but you, do you think I really did that? Come on, do you? Do you of course I didn't do that. You know, I jammed and I rocked out and my ears throbbed for like the next week, but it was amazing. And it was worth it because I was seeing my favorite band of all time. We like, we, we like crowd surfed. I mean, it was my, my buddy and I, we still, when we talk about that night, we're like, oh my gosh. So do you remember that night when we saw, oh, that was amazing. Like that living your life apart from God is like putting on those earmuffs to God's kingdom and his rhythm 
all happening all around you, all of us. For those of you who, who know God and trust God, you're dancing and you're grooving to the kingdom. But for those of you, you may be thinking like, what, what, what's happening? Is, is God just distant from me? Or does God just not want to be with me, but wants to be with everyone else who, who claims to be in this rich relationship with God? That couldn't be further from the truth. God wants to live in, in such a rich relationship with you. But what happens when we make it about us, it's like putting earmuffs on to the rhythms of God's kingdom and grace happening all around us. And so there's this, there's this jam session going on and we're just sitting there like, well, I should be grooving, but I, I'm not hearing anything. Let me encourage you. If God feels distant from you today, or if you're thinking, I'm, I'm just not sure what this is all about. Let me encourage you and let us help one another take the headphones off of our ears so that we can begin listening to the beat and listen to the rhythm and think, whoa, okay, this is, there's something rich happening. There's something rich happening beyond ourselves here. Jesus inaugurated an entirely new way of life, fulfilling what God started long ago and now calls all of those who follow him to boldly choose a beatitude-driven lifestyle over the wider road lifestyle, which all of us naturally default into of our own way of doing things in our own name. And instead, God says, man, I got these rhythms, just these beats happening all around you. I'm all around you. And if you can just tune your ear and pray and be still, you will hear them and it will send you into this, into this journey as we all hunger and thirst for righteousness together as we show mercy to one another, as we live pure in heart together toward one another. Blessed are those people, Jesus said, because they know this great open secret. It's an open secret, but this great open secret that says it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. God is fully alive with us here and now. He's not distant and apart from us. He's closer than we could possibly know. As close as our hearts are in our chest, and these Beatitudes, they, they align our vision with Christ's kingdom and help us live together within this created order of the family. Now, let me also mention here that you may be thinking, man, I, I'm living this way already, but I'm dealing with so much hardship. And I, I've encountered such evil in the last season since I've been following Jesus. Well, let me mention here that the evil done in this world results when we forsake this way of life, when we forsake our lives against these virtues and choose our own sin brokenness apart from God. This may not be you, but this may be other people around you. And unfortunately in our world where we're all connected relationally or we feel the pain of each other, sometimes that comes to bear on our own lives, even choices that we didn't make. Or even if you're living with Jesus, sometimes we do still go our own way. And those consequences, and those, those decisions that we make have consequences still. But did you know that God never, never designed and created our lives to encounter that kind of evil, to encounter the brokenness of our world? It's quite the opposite. God created us back in the garden to walk with him in the coolness of the night together. That's an intimate and personal picture of a God who wants to be your God. And from Genesis 3, 5, from the moment that we broke that relationship with God and decided to go our own way and sin brokenness entered into our world from that moment on to this very moment right now, God has been seeking to make a way in our world and in every single one of our lives to experience redemption and grace to the fullest extent. In Christ, it is done, but it's not yet fully realized. 
We still live in a world where those kinds of things happen. We still live in bodies that still break down. And we still sometimes make decisions that don't honor God, but go our own way. But in Christ, it is done. And forgiveness is there for us as we begin to make our way back into a beatitude-driven lifestyle. It's just not yet fully realized on this side of heaven until the final restoration of all things. That's why evil may still touch our lives from time to time. Our world still yearns for final redemption. But in those moments when evil does show its face, God promises all of those who seek him that he will fill them, that he will show them mercy, and that he will let them see him. And that is a promise. And I know many of you have those stories in this room where your lives have been touched by evil or by the consequences of other people, but yet God still filled you in extraordinary and unspeakable ways because you still believed in that promise and God showed faithful to you. This is the foundation for the second milestone of your Christ journey. And on this foundation, God established his church for us to experience life together in family. God created family for a blessing and God chose a family through which to bless the world. Now God calls all of those who follow his son, no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also check this out, members of his family, members of God's family. We are members of God's family for those who believe and trust him. In Christ, God entered into a covenant relationship with the world through the familial association of men and women, just like you and me, all around the world who are sharing life together as brothers and sisters in Christ within the community of the local church. And I think this is awesome. This is, this is, one, of the great, this is one of the great benefits of following Christ. I think this is awesome, but I also think at the same time that it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> I think that God designed the church as family so that we may all live right side up in the kingdom of God. We need each other. We need, we need each other's companionship. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's accountability. We need each other to live this life together and to follow his way with the beatitude-driven lifestyle, but it's risky. This is, this is risky, and I want to be honest about that. And it's kind of terrifying because no other institution draws us out of ourselves more than the family. No other institution does. I think God designed it like that. We're not supposed to hide in the family. We're not supposed to make it about us in the family. We're supposed to make it about each other in the family. And though some of us may hide or some of us may go our own way, families are complicated. I think God designed the family so that we wouldn't make it about us. And I think like many of you, I've experienced how the family can do harm. And that's why it kind of terrifies me to do life together as a family but I've also experienced God's redemptive grace through the church as family. And I wanna encourage all of you, if you're new to our church or if you're just exploring this, I wanna encourage you to stay with us long enough to begin to experience the redemptive grace that comes with the church's family. The second milestone of the Christ journey names our desire as a church to fight for this vision of community in the same way that you would fight for your biological family and give yourselves up for them. Think of Jesus's beatitudes as ordering our living in such a way that helps keep us together as a family. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Sometimes this verse here gets misinterpreted as hungering for our own righteousness 
which isn't the case. None of us can attain that on our own through our own good works. And other times this Beatitudes gets misconstrued as hungering for some kind of perfection, which also misses the point. Jesus alone is perfection. Righteousness here does not mean perfection. It means being right standing and justified. It literally means being squared up, being squared up. And God sees every single one of you as being squared up and right standing through what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so though you and I may still falter, we may still stumble, we may still do things that completely counter these beatitudes and a beatitude-driven lifestyle, so long as we seek forgiveness and stay together, God continues to see us as right standing. God continues to see you as, as the way that he always intended to see you when he created you. Seek and you shall find, Jesus says, and he promises it. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We've all been born into the family of the flawed. And as we hunger for God's righteousness, only then may we show mercy and not give others what they really, really deserve. Because we now know that we didn't get what we really, really deserved. And this action, mercy is an action. This action here keeps us together. It keeps the relationships together when we want to run away or when we want to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to come at you because you did this one thing for me. Mercy keeps us together. A couple of years ago, my wife showed me this beatitude in action in such a profound way. Just after we welcomed our second son, Levi, we went through a difficult patch for a couple of months of trying to adjust to this new life with a new boy. We had just moved to Miami a couple of months earlier from out west. We uprooted from all of our friendships and some of my family out there. And we were trying to make a new way here in this church that we love, in this ministry that we love. And, uh, but I, I, ha I have to admit, I was, I was stressed and I was feeling the tension of trying to orient my life in this new city, in this new church, while also mourning to some extent the, the relationships and friendships that I missed back West. And on one vulnerable moment in particular, my wife and I got into a, a little conflict and I escalated it by saying something that I shouldn't have said. But as you can imagine, I, I didn't feel that way when I said it. I, I felt like I was justified in saying it. And so after a couple of days, I, uh, I realized, you know what, I, I really hurt my wife. And I really, um, I really put an additional strain on her marriage that I shouldn't have done. And so I asked if we could talk and we sat down together. And my, my wife must have sensed what was about to happen because before I could say a word, she looked at me and she said, Ryan, I've already forgiven you. And we didn't have to say a whole lot after that because those four words, that, that mercy that she showed me in that moment clicked everything back together for me. It got me out of this weird funk. It got my life right with Jesus. And I began to see my wife now, not as my opponent, but as my teammate. And we were able to work it out. And so mercy, this is an action. And it's a very intentional action with which God brought together within his community to work out within the context of this church. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This term pure derives from this Greek word katharoi, which literally means unalloyed or without mixture. In other words, purity means a singularity, a singularity of focus that Jesus tells us to place upon God. And my question here is what's got your attention? What's gotten mixed in? What's gotten alloyed into, into the singularity that, that has kind of distorted your vision upon God? What's got your attention? 
Recently, my daughter Hannah loves cooking with uh, with me in the kitchen, and she kind of forces her way into it. So I've had to learn how to make space to kind of help her find her way in the kitchen, and uh, and, I, and I'm beginning to let her try some different things in the kitchen just just to get the feel of it. So recently, I I let her begin to pour applesauce into her bowl. I figured, okay, if we could start there, then let's see what happens after that. But then she said, no, daddy, I, I want to mix in some cinnamon into my applesauce. And I said, okay. And so after I had taught her how to just just gently tap on the bottle. She said, okay, daddy, let me do it by myself. And so she took it. She started shaking it. She just started shaking that thing like a Polaroid picture. And literally like a dust of cinnamon, like a cinnamon cloud came all around the kitchen. I mean, we had to get down on our hands and knees and we had to like, you know, we were like putting towels on our faces just to make our way out of the kitchen. I mean, for the next couple of days, cinnamon covered. I was finding cinnamon in the kitchen three days after that moment. What, what's gotten mixed in to your faith that has taken you off of your singularity of vision? Take that cinnamon out of your life and just keep it solely about Jesus. Within the context of your Christ journey, the most appropriate way to work this out is through small groups where we can get around other people to help us live a beatitude-driven lifestyle. There's only one way to counter a me-focused lifestyle, and it's twofold. And this is my one and only application point today. It's twofold. You gotta get other people around you and you need to be that person for someone else. It's the only way that it, it stops becoming about you. Take this action step in your Christ journey to join a small group. We talk about it all the time because we believe in it that much. It's imperfect, yes. It's, it's messy and sometimes it can be awkward, yes, but it's so good and it's so rich. Last fall, my wife and I joined a, a group of other couples with small kids and it's so messy, literally, but it's also messy just coordinating schedules and, and trying to figure out who's gonna literally watch our 11 kids when we put them together. It's so loud, it's so messy, but it's so good because every single one of us have, be, have began setting a, a new way for each other and we remind each other how to live a beatitude-driven lifestyle. And it's not because I'm in the group, it's not because there's a pastor up here talking to you. That's far from it. We've all done that because we've each made a decision, a conscientious decision that we were going to fight for each other in this group, that we weren't going to give up on each other, that when one of us falters or when one of us stumbles or one of our kids explodes, we're not going to judge each other, but we're going to help each other stay on our Christ journey together. We laugh together. We cry together. We, we eat lots of food together, which is so important in a small group. So important. I want to invite you to stand for just a moment. And I want you to just look around the room, just for a moment. Look around at those near you. If you're, if you're on this side of the room, look at those people who are way over on this side and vice versa. Just look around for just a moment. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us may, may not want to share our last name because it might expose us to all kinds of things. But in Christ, God gave us all the same last name. And that last name is grace. That last name is forgiven. That last name is redemption. And as we seek to do life together as the church, God draws us together as his family. And all of those who call upon his name, those who attended the 930, those who will attend the 1230, those who are meeting in other healthy, faithful, good churches in our city and around the world are all brothers and sisters in Christ's name. And Jesus calls us to live a beatitude-driven lifestyle, but we can't do this on our own. We need every single person in this room together helping each other live that way. 
forgiving one another when we falter, helping to pick each other up because we will stumble and fall, help encourage one another to keep after it, to help others who are new to become integrated into this new community, to help them not feel awkward or distant or, or a wallflower off on the side, but instead to help them come into the family right away and to experience the richness and the grace and the abundance of being a part of this family. That's how God created this life. And then also for us to welcome people not yet here. Because sometimes people look from the outside in and they think, I don't fit into that. But in reality, God extends this very invitation and is willing to give his last name to whoever calls him Lord. And so we need to help get that out into the community and invite people into the family to experience that richness and to create space for each other and help one another. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ, you did not let us go. Lord, we thank you that when we decided to go our own way, and fulfill our own will, that you didn't leave us behind, that you didn't, you didn't forsake us, you didn't cast us out away from you, but instead, God, you pursued us all the more going all the way to the cross in your resurrection for us to give us life and life to the fullest extent, life with satisfaction. God, we think we can create that by our own hand, but every time we do, we miss it. And we end up missing our life altogether. God, help us. Help us keep a singularity of focus upon you. Show mercy to others and pursue your righteousness as we begin to help right the wrongs in our world in your name. God, we need courage and we need boldness for that. And so Lord, we trust that as we seek to live this way together as one family, brothers and sisters, Lord, that you, you set our feet on a clear path. For those, for those today who wanna take that step in that direction, for those today who have discovered, you know what? I, I've been going my own way for all my life and I'm done trying to make it happen on my own. And I, I'm done dealing with all the conflicts that arise when I try to force it. But instead, I, I want my life to come together with Jesus. I want to follow his way. I want to turn today to call Jesus Lord and not myself. Then would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I've realized today that life is not about me, but it's about you. And so Lord, I'm making my life about you now and your way. So Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, please, and extend grace upon me. And help me, help me in your Holy Spirit and help me alongside of these other brothers and sisters to live a way that honors you, to live a beatitude-driven lifestyle that honors you and seeks your will done in this world and not my own. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you mind raising your hand so I may see you and bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Over here to my left, in the center here. Father, for the hands raised, Lord, we just, we just thank you for the work that you are doing in their lives, for the ways in which you are bringing them together with you. And Lord, now as one church, we ask that you set our vision on you and help order our steps your way as we make this prayer in your name. Amen.